Classic song, Gene Vincent and the Blue Caps, Bebopalula, with Dickie Harrell on the drums there, and that was also him screaming like a maniac there in the background. What a great sound. What a great feel. He's our guest today, and boy, are you going to enjoy this. He's a super modest guy, super nice guy. So let's get to it right now. Really honored and uh, thrilled to have Dickie Harrell, original member of Gene Vincent's Blue Caps. Uh, with us today. Dickie, welcome. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of the uh, the music that you guys did and uh, just wanted to, well, I have a ton of questions for you, but um, really looking forward to uh, getting into it with you. And uh, first of all, I wanted to say congratulations for uh, yeah, the Blue Caps getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That must have been a, quite a thrill, huh? Yeah, well, you know, I, I really didn't do anything. Like like I tell everybody else, what I did on the drums, a monkey could have done, wind up a little monkey, just stick some drumsticks in his hand. But the real talent, the real talent was Gene singing, Cliff and uh, Jack and Willie, uh, Howard Kramer and uh, Mr. Lewis. Uh, Howard was a curator, and both of them, we're big uh, rockabilly fans, and um, I got a phone call one morning, and it was Mr. Kramer, and uh, I said, how you doing? I said, what, how come you called me? Something must be up. He yeah. said, well, he says we decided, we had a committee get together, and we decided that uh, we had all the singers in from the 50s, which was... Uh, Bill Haley, James Brown, uh, the Midnighters, and the Crickets. He said, and we decided to just go ahead and put the bands in, too. Sure. And I started laughing at him. I thought it was funny. I said, man, you, you, you're kidding, ain't you? He said, no, I ain't kidding. I said, all right. I said, don't, don't be playing no games now. <laughs> he said, man, I ain't playing no games. He said, what I'm going to do is get my secretary to send you all the additional information and the tickets, and you can hand them out to the boys. I said, okay. So I hung up, and I told uh, I, I told Donna about it, and she about fell off the bed laughing. Cause she, she didn't believe it either like I did. So I called uh, uh, Bubba, which is Tommy Fasando, and I told him about it, and he did the same thing. He started laughing. I thought he was going to have a, 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 a stroke or something the way he was laughing. He said, you kidding, ain't you? I said, no, I ain't kidding. He said, well, I don't believe it. And I said, all right, we'll just wait and see what happens. So three days went by, five days went by, six days went by. And we just decided, you know, that they was just playing a, a prank on us. Sure. Went to, the, went to the mailbox one day, and I had this big envelope in there. And I opened it up, and there was the tickets and all the information, the air flights and 
what we're going to do and what we're going to do when and what time and so forth. Wow. So I got with Bubba and uh, four of the other fellas, and uh, we just went ahead and uh, set it up. We met them at the airport, and um, they came in from uh, came in from Greenville, South Carolina. That's where uh, Johnny and uh, uh, Bobby were. Johnny Meeks and uh, Bobby Jones, former uh, right. Blue Caps, yeah. So me and Bubba flew together, and I, I guess they flew together also. So we met there in Cleveland at the airport, and uh, they were there waiting for us, and they picked us up and uh, took us to the hall there. And uh, we checked into the uh, hotel. I mean, checked into the hotel. And uh, we went and got us a little bite to eat, and um, we got a chance to meet um, Bill Haley's band and so forth, and um, showed us what was going on and where they were going to have all the services and everything. And we, and we still didn't believe it until the night it happened. <laughs> so we wow. went, we went to um, went to the rehearsal, and uh, they were all up on the stage. Kid Rock was up on the stage. And he was going through his stuff, and different ones were. And uh, they got lined up and everything, and we got our little bit over. And uh, so we went back to the hotel, and uh, they had a party that night. And uh, it was just for the band. So we had that, and we went ahead and got ready for the next day. And we went on down there and uh, all, all dressed up and looked like a bunch of professionals. <laughs> Cream, I asked you, would I make the induction speech? And uh, I told him, I said, no, I don't think so. I said, I, I don't know what to say. Right. He said, well, think of something to say. He said, they want you to make the speech because you're the last one of the original bunch. Sure. So Donna put a speech together for me, and uh, I practiced it and probably forgot half of it when I got up there. And um, I, I did my little thing there, and uh, the guys did their little thing. And uh, it turned out pretty nice. Um, we went backstage, and um, I didn't know nobody back there, see. I mean, all the big stars and the money and all that. And I, I felt like a peon. Ah. And uh, and uh, I just said to myself, I said, man, I don't belong here. Ah. So we were backstage talking, and uh, I felt somebody hit me on my shoulder. I said, Dad, go on. Who is that? I, I don't know nobody. I thought it was, I thought it was Bubba, because Bubba did all kind of pranks like that. It was Kid Rock, <laughs> and uh, he said, I just want to congratulate y'all on getting into the hall. He said, I've been listening to y'all's music for years. Wow. And I, I said, Dad, go on. But other than that, uh, I don't know. I, you know, you go to places like that, and I mean, sometimes I don't know everybody does. But I just, I just felt like I didn't belong there for some reason. Wow. And, well, you, um, sh- you shouldn't have felt like that. You're uh, one of the original cats, you know? I had a good time when I was there, but I just I just didn't feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah. No, I can understand that. You're, um, you'd been retired for a while, too, from the music business, per se. And so maybe you felt just a little out of place. That's understandable. Well, I did feel out of place because I had to wear a suit. Because, <laughs> you know, you wear a suit, you figure they're going to put you in the ground. Yeah. I, I just I just didn't feel right. Yeah, no, I get it. 
So how did how did you uh, how did you and Gene Vincent cross paths when you were first getting started? Were you um... well? I was work. I was helping at the station WCMS, and uh, I knew Bill Davis real good. He was the uh, top disc jockey there, see. And uh, I would go over there during the day, and he'd play songs and all this. And they had a show at the Gates Theater, and uh, it was called Country Showtime. And what it was, it had local talent, and um, they would get up there and sing, and and if they won, they get a chance to come back the next week, see. And um, I was sitting up at the station one day talking to Bill, and he says, uh, he said, we got a guy coming up here today that's in the Navy. He got a broken leg from a motorcycle accident, and he wants to sing some songs. Sure. I said, well, send him on. We'll try him. So he come up on an elevator. He had on a blue navy long sleeve shirt, blue pants. He had his foot in the cast, and he was on crutches. And he come in there, and I took him back there to see Bill. And uh, he told Bill, he says, he said, I'd like to try it if you don't. He said, well, show us what you got. Yeah. So he sang a couple songs. And uh, after the second song, Bill said, that sounds good. He said, and I'll, um, I'll give you a call if we can use you this Friday. So he left. And um, Bill looked at me. He said, what do you think? I said, I the boy sounds good. I said, give him a chance. All you can do is give him a chance. I said, it'll sort of liven things up a little bit. So he said, all right, we'll do it. So he called him and told him, he said, come on down Friday, and we'll put you on the show. So he went on, he went on uh, the first show, he went on last. And uh, he did good, did real good. The people really liked him. Nice. And uh, matter, matter of fact, the first, the first night he played, that he won because people was clapping and screaming. And... Uh, Bill said, well, son, said, uh, you can come back next week if you want to. He said, I'll be there. So by him being at the hospital with all those other sailors, and they found out what he was doing, well, naturally, all want to get behind him and give him some support. Sure. So after, after the first show, the second night he played, they started coming in. And this went on and on, and every week it got to the point that you couldn't even get in there. That's because he brought all his friends from the hospital, and then the ones from the local hip, they brought their friends, and it just turned out to be it just turned out to be one one big mess as far as trying to get in there. And you had to get there early. I think it started eight, right? And you had to get there early, or you didn't get a seat. And um, this went on for a while, and uh. We were we were playing one night, man. They went crazy. <laughs> he said, "Well, I got some more information for you." He said, uh, "I talked to my good friend at Capitol Records, Ken Nelson, and uh, he said they were looking for some new artists because at that time Elvis was Elvis was killing them. Yeah, and you know that's what they do these record companies when they." 
find somebody to sell, you know, sell records and stuff. They want to get somebody that sounds just like them so they can compete. Right. So he told him after it was all over that people were clapping and screaming. And he took him back there and told him, he said, now look, here's the story. He said, I'm gonna, we're going to make us a dub. It will make us a dub way up to the station tomorrow night. A dub mean a demo recording, correct? Oh, yeah. And we'll send it in, and Nelson wants to hear what you sound like. So next night, we got together and got some of the guys that was in the other bands. Cliff was in a band. Jack was in a band. And the two guys that played steel and guitar, they were in their own band. He got us together. He said, uh, can y'all make it if we make this uh, uh, demo? And uh, we did. And what it was, it was done in a country style, real slow. Sure. Especially with a steel guitar. You know what that sounds like. Yeah, kind of moaning and sad, right? So we went ahead and made the demo, and the scream wasn't on the demo scene. And he sent the demo in. And about a week and a half later, I was upstairs at the station, and uh, he called me in the office. He said, come on in here. So I went in there, and he said, uh, he said I'm going let to you, let you know something now. And he said, I want you to keep this between me and you until we let it out. I said, okay. He said, the tape, the demo, rather, that we sent Ken that he wants Gene to come out and record some songs that they want him. In other words, they made up them and they wanted him you right want, there. Wanted to sign him based on hearing the uh, demo recording. Sure. Right. And it, it was bad. I'm going to tell you, it was nothing like the record. Wow. Now, was this a, a demo recording of Bebop Alula? Or was it other song? What was that? Was the demo a recording of Bebop Alula or was it, was it a different song? Alula. It wasn't nothing like Bebop Lula. It was real slow. They sent it, and about about a week and a half later, uh, every time we went up the station, we'd ask, well, did you hear anything? No, not yet. Not yet. So I was up there one morning, and um, he got a phone call from Nelson, and Nelson told him, he said, I want him. He said, I want him, I want him, I want him. So when can you get on a plane and get out here and do some recording? He said, well, I had to get with the other guys. He said, no. He said, I don't want the band. He said, that's just what I'm looking for as far as, far as the voice. Right. He said, but I really, really don't want the band. He said, well, look, man, get the get boys a break. They They've been working a long time, and they they sort of hoped something like this was happening. He said, he said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, you bring them. If they ain't no good, we'll put them right back on a plane to send them home. Yeah. That's the exact words he used, too, because I was there. Yeah. So we got together. Willie, Willie was playing band that was at the station, which was the staff band. Him and his wife were their own little thing where they go around you know, to the um, grocery stores and play and 
used car lots and played when they had grand openings and everything. And uh, Cliff was playing with a band, and so was Jack. So we got together, and after after they decided that they were going to go, me, Cliff, and Jack, and uh, Willie and myself, told him, says, now, things are going to work out. So I didn't say nothing to them. They were all tickled to death. Right. See, here's the clincher. Mr. Nelson had never heard Cliff play. Wow. Because when he got the dub, got the dub, the demo, it was these other two guys on there, and we had a steal on it. Right. So Bill says, I hope it goes over well. He said, we're going to go to the studio today. And uh, he never heard y'all play. He said, so I'm hoping it'll go over. So we went in the studio, and uh, I could have swore they had other people in there, musicians and stuff walking around, which I which I would say, if you're going to cut one of the sessions at Capitol, and they, they don't know if they want to keep the band or not, you know they're going to have a band on hand just in case. Exactly, yeah. So we went in there and set up, met Mr. Nelson, met Owen Bradley, and uh, got got ready and everything. He says, all right, fellas. He says, uh, let us hear what you got. So Cliff, Cliff broke into one of his songs, and, and another song, and Ken stopped him. He said, wait a minute. He said, Bill, these ain't the people that you sent to me on that on that uh, demo. <laughs> he said, no, it ain't, Mr. Nelson. He said, but well, I didn't want to tell you. He said, because if I had it, you wouldn't have definitely won the boys. He said, well, I'm glad you did. He said, because that's the sound I'm looking for. Wow. And that was it. Well, he fell in love with Cliff's playing. I bet. He's a, he's a genius. Everybody loves his playing. He said, I'm glad you brought him, Bill. And uh, after we after that we did this did the session, Bill told us in the room. He said, "I'm gonna be truthful with you." He said he really didn't want y'all. So I mean, you're lucky that he took you. Right. But the reason he didn't want us because the daggone sound that we sent it went sound like it sounded like it was a funeral march. <laughs> but um. It went over, and uh, they liked it. And uh, me and Willie, me and Willie was the two nuts in the band. Yeah. Cliff and Jack, they couldn't stand it. Because <laughs> they wanted everything to be serious. Right. So that's you with the wild scream in the background there on Bebopalula, right? Oh, yeah. When, well, when we recorded the thing. Um, I don't know what happened. You but just were feeling break, you were you were feeling it and just like uh it's such a great I scream. Just, yeah, I just it won't reverse. And we never sent it on the dub. So I just felt like it needed to scream, so I screamed and Nelson said, Whoa, whoa. He said, What was that? <laughs> and Cliff took to me, he said he said, Boy, what the hell is wrong with you? We're making a session. Right. You ain't do something like that. <laughs> Asked Gene, he said, well, Gene, you want to keep it or you want to cut it out? He said, no, put it in there. And that Bebop was born. 
Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful recording and uh, so instrumental in inspiring countless uh, rockabilly artists in future generations and, and rock and roll as well. I mean, it's just uh, that scream and the the guitar solo and the just the whole package of that song was just is, is rockabilly perfection. And um, yeah, that would have been tragic if they had to cut that scream out because that really makes that break there, you know? <laughs> you know, um, I only used brushes on that song. Yeah. I didn't use the sticks. Yeah, yeah. At the time, most of your bands were using the sticks. But I figured Jack was a jazz man. And if you listen to that bass, man, that bass is just as smooth as it can be. Sure. So I told him, I said, I'm going to use the brushes. And he said, well, try it. So we tried it, and it sounded good on the, you know, on the mic and everything. Yeah. So we just kept it in there, and... Um, we did our sessions, and uh, Ken says, um, said we, I think we got something going here. And uh, he said, well, what song do you like the best, Ken? He said, well, I can tell you which one's going to be a hit. He said, Woman Love's going to be the hit. He said, well, how about Bebop Lula? He said, well, it's a good song, Gene, but Woman Love is going to be the big one. Huh. I'm telling you, I know. We went on back home and um, waited for everything to get straight. But I guess it's I guess it's about a month or so. He he called uh, like uh, Bill. He said, "I'm sending you a copy of the song." He said, "I want you to listen to it and tell me what you say." So he sent it, and it it sounded good. Yeah, I mean I ain't bragging, but it sounded. Uh, the echo and everything, Gene's voice just was made for that song. Yeah. So we sat around there for a while, and uh, he told us they're going to release it what day and everything. So they released it, and uh, it was it did pretty good for about, I'd say, three, four weeks. They were playing it on the radio, and uh, then all of a sudden they had a controversy started about what he was saying on the record, it sounded like he was saying something nasty. And that was because the X was lined up. So they checked it out, and they, they won't that way, just the way people picked it up. Right. So they banned the record. Oh, wow. And when they banned the record, it went nationwide, and nobody would play it. Jeez. So I, I, I was told, now, I don't know if it's true or not, but I, told, I was told that there was a jockey in Lukenbach, Texas. And he played the record. And, and one night, when they normally played Woman Love, he turned it over. And when he turned it over, it picked up like wildfire. Wow. All over the country. So the next time we had to cut that album, Ken Nelson says, I know, I know, I picked the wrong record. <laughs> he said, no, all of them were good. He said, but I just felt something about that song that it had it. So we went ahead and uh, cut that album. Um, the one, the album we cut was uh, uh, Ain't She Sweet, uh, That Old Gang of Mine, and an Unchained Melody. Well, Ken Nelson, Ken Nelson told Gene, he said, look, he said, I want you to do something for me. He said, I got an album I want to make, and I want you to cut these songs. But Gene didn't know half of them what they were. Because he ain't listening to no music like that. Right. 
and a Jezebel and things of that nature. So we went in the studio, and um, he had the records there, and they played them. And uh, Gene said, yeah, I guess we can do them. And Cliff was tickled to death, because this, this was right up his alley. Sure. Man, he was tickled to death to cut that album. And uh, I told him, I said, don't matter to me. I said, we can do it. So we cut it, and it turned out to be one of uh, one of the biggest albums. And then after that, for well, I think it was about a month, uh, we started playing music. And um, next thing you know, we, we got some bookings. Our first booking was in Folly Beach, South Carolina. Wow. And uh, at that time, at that time, a lot of people hadn't seen Gene and knew what he was doing, see? Yeah. And um, I tell you, we was nuts. I mean, I got to face it, we were nuts. Because <laughs> I'd lay all over the floor, get on top of the piano with the drum under my arm, and Willie would lay on the floor and lean all the way back, and Cliff and Jack would sit there and shake their head. <laughs> They're like, what are these wild... And then Gene would lay on the floor with the microphone, and, and people liked it. They enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. It. It's a great visual. Yeah, so it's great. It's rock and roll. Yeah, because, see, they ain't never seen nothing like that. Right. So after a while, after every show, Cliff would say, y'all need help. <laughs> Willie need help. A lot of help. And Gene told him, said, man, it, that looks good. People like that. Yeah. That was it. From then on, we were on our way. So did, uh, did when did Cliff Gallup decide to leave the band? Was it shortly... After this success, or was it? Was he just tired of the road? Or tell me a little bit about that. What happened? Uh, Cliff had a young daughter. Okay. And Ken Nelson, when he when he told Ken he was leaving, Ken Nelson told him he said, well, "Look," he said, "He ever thought about moving to Nashville?" He said, "If you do." I'll put you in charge of A&R people and the musicians, and you can use whatever musicians you want. He said, because we hate to leave you, lose you. Yeah. And Cliff looked at him and told him, he said, look, Ken. He said, I got a young daughter. He said, and I want to be there to watch her grow up. And he said, well, think about it. If you change your mind, do it. He said, you always know you got a job here. And that's when he left. And right after he left is when Jack left. And then uh, Willie left, and I was the only one that stayed. So Jack Neal, Jack Neal, the bass player, and then uh, Willie Williams, the uh, rhythm yeah. guitarist, they left too. Wow. So when we came back off the road, uh, when they left that last night, um, see, Gene, Gene was like this. If we played different shows with different people, like Bo Diddley, Little Richard, and uh, different ones, the next night he would play half the songs he played with was one of theirs. And um, just like I said, he, he we got back and they leave, they left, and he had he, he said, "Well, we got to get a new band." So he looked around. He said. He said, what do you think? I said, I don't know what to tell you. And by that time, when Willie left, 
uh, Paul Peake came from South Carolina and take his place, rhythm guitar player. Okay. And uh, Gene was telling him, he said, well, we got one new fellow, you. He said, but I need a guitar player and a bass player. Yeah. And uh, Paul told him, he said, well, shoot, I know some guys back home that we can get. He said, I got a guitar player back there, Johnny Meeks. Johnny Meeks, and, yep. He said, two necks on a guitar. <laughs> and he said, well, he said, let's go down there and see him. So him and Paul went back there to Greenville at some club there where Johnny was playing. And uh, Gene liked him and hired him right then. Nice. And uh, Bill Mack was playing with him then, and he hired him as a bass player, too. So when we came back home, Gene said, I want a show band. He said, because I get out there and do crazy stuff, and Willie does crazy stuff. That he told Paul, he said, we want you to get out there and do some crazy things. Yeah. Paul said, no problem, no problem. So we had to get, he wanted some, he wanted some clapper boys. Like, yeah. like backup, like the, the uh, Jordanaires and things like that. Yeah, keep the rhythm and put the vocals as well. Yeah. So that's when we got the got the show band together, and uh, then on, man, when we played, I mean, I ain't bragging or nothing like that, but we we were a hard act to follow. I can imagine it. Was super excitement, uh, just great rockabilly uh, energy and craziness going on that's that's that would have been a blast to watch and uh like i said when we played i would be i would be up on top of if they had a piano with a drum under my arm and johnny and all of them would be laying on the floor in the back and Gene <laughs> would have a microphone stuck up in the air screaming and the, the people just they, they never seen nothing like that they were eating it up i bet yeah so we went ahead and played a week or two at different places, and uh, Ken got us a contract. Uh, it's a company in uh, Dallas. I think it was the Sportatorium. They handle mostly all uh, country artists, Sonny James and different ones and so forth. Sure. Um, Bill come up there one day. He said, all right. He said, we're ready to go. He said, we're going away from here in a week's time. We got, got shows lined up. So we, we got back together that time in the old station wagon, hooked it up. And we went down, um, went down and played a show. And I didn't, never knew who was on it. All we knew was that we were supposed to play. Right. So when we got there, we were setting up. And uh, still didn't know who was going to be on it. Right. So I went out the front, and there was one of them posters up on the door. And it had on there George Jones, Johnny Cash, Roy Orbison, Johnny Burnett, Warren Smith. And I said to myself, how in the heck are we going to play on a country show like that? So I went and told Gene about it. He said, no, you got to be kidding. So I took him out front, showed him the poster, and he said, wow. He said, they all number one acts, which they were. Johnny Cash and Roy Orbison and them, they, 
they were burning it up, man. And um, we came nighttime before the show to start. The place was packed. Well, they were number one in the country field. All of them were. Yeah. And uh, we had to go on first. And uh, we didn't know who we were going to play with. So Gene said, well, let's just go out there and do what we do. If they don't like us, they can send us back home. Right. So we went out there and played two songs, three songs, and uh, just about had a riot. <laughs> I mean, they were screaming and dancing and jumping on the stage and everything. And after it was all over, George and Johnny Cash were sitting on the side of the stage there. And uh, Johnny Cash called Gene over there. He said, come here, boy. Come here right now. He said, uh, yes, sir, Mr. Cash, what's wrong? He said, how did y'all get on this show? How did you get on this show, this country show? Y'all ain't no damn country. He said, how did you do that? And by the way, what are you playing? He said, y'all are crazy. <laughs> and he looked at me, he says, why are you standing up? Why don't you sit down like all the other drummers do? I said, well, I just felt like it... I needed to be standing up. He said, it looks terrible. <laughs> oh, y'all a bunch of crazy people. So then he looked at George. He said, George, what what do you what do you think? And George said, well, I don't know what they're playing. And I don't know what they think. He said, but he said, they got 3,000 people out there that went crazy. So they must like them. Right. So they didn't they didn't talk to us for about two or three days. <laughs> and then after two or three days they started coming around. And uh, after that we we all become very good friends. And uh, that's where I got to meet uh, Holland that was playing with uh, Johnny Cash. And uh we met uh Johnny Burnett and uh we met um uh, Paul Broston and uh and Roy Orbison. And I mean, it, it, it was just great, man. The word was the word was out, and we never knew what we were going to do because when we went over a song, we never knew what he was going to do. <laughs> he'd sing three or four bars of a song and stop, and then he'd go into a Bo Diddley song and play that, and then he'd go into a Little Richard song. Wow! We had to keep tabs on him what he was playing, and uh, from then on, bud, everywhere we went, that's all they talked about. You know, we went by the radio stations and uh, said, we heard y'all was crazy. <laughs> and he said, well, you can say that. He said, come on out to the show tonight and see, folks, how crazy we are. Did you guys uh, Did you guys ever work a show or run into Elvis? Oh, yeah, shoot. It was one time in New York we ran into him, and he knew Gene's record was out. Yeah. He said, I hope it's a big hit for you guys. And uh, they, got, they hit it off pretty good together. Cool. And uh, then next time that we ran into him, well, actually, I met Elvis when he come to the arena uh, in Norfolk. When he first come to the arena, nobody even knew what he looked like. They, they had uh, the show lined up with uh, Hank, Hank Snow, the Carter sisters, and so forth. And um, he came back, came backstage. And, uh, man, he was shy. He hardly spoke. And Elvis was over there by himself. Wow. And uh, he was just, you 
know, scared, man. Sure. So I went over there and told him, I said, Mr. Presley, they're ready for you. So he got up, walked over there to the middle of the stage, curtains were closed, and had a big, big circle in the middle of the stage. And Bill told him, he said, now I want you to stand there. And when I open that curtain and you see them people, I want you to start singing. So he said, yes, sir, yes, sir. Okay, yes, sir, thank you. <laughs> so he went out there and um, see, nobody had ever seen him. Right. They didn't know who he was. So he got all lined up. And Bill came out there. He said, folks, he said, this is the first time for this fella here in Norfolk. He said, now I'm going to tell you right now, this boy's going places. He said, you can take it to the bank. So they opened that curtain. He swung that leg up in the air, buddy, and that was all it took. <laughs> Palm of his they hands after crazy. that. Yeah. Women went nuts, man. They were screaming and everything. And Elvis didn't know a whole lot of songs. He sang a, he sang a couple of them twice. Wow. And uh they they wouldn't want they didn't want to let him off the stage, see? They took him off the stage and Bill said, Now we got we had to cut him off because we got hanging snow coming. So we're gonna clean the stage off and everything, get ready for him. Right. So Hank went out there, and the whole time Dewey was singing, we want Elvis, we want Elvis. And I think <laughs> it made him mad. He cut his show short. Sure. And uh, so so Bill went out there and told him, he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He said, I'm going to bring the boy back here next month. He said, I'm just going to bring him. I don't need nobody else. It'll just be him. Wow. Man, they went nuts. I bet. So the next month came, and uh, they brought him in. He played three shows at the Norfolk Arena at 9,000 people. You couldn't get out or in the parking lot. Wow. There was people outside selling tickets, that you know, getting as much as they can for them. And there were people out there hoping that somebody didn't show up, they could get in. Right. And I'm going to tell you this. He tore him to pieces. I bet. And like I said, we got to meet him, and then we went and made the girl can't help it. He was out there, too, making a move. Uh, Love Me Tender. Sure. And uh, we got a chance to meet him, and uh, we talked and all this, and uh, he told Gene, he said, well, your record's doing good from what I hear. I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, well, keep it up, boy. I said, I've been hearing good things about y'all. He says, nutty things, he said, but I've been hearing things about you. Speaking of nutty so, things, speaking of nutty things, uh, I, I read somewhere that you guys uh, would light firecrackers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, somehow you got, uh, uh, you put one in Gene's guitar, is that right? Well, see, we used to throw firecrackers at each other on the bandstand. <laughs> During the show? Yeah. And if you <laughs> watch yourself, you step on one and blow your foot off. <laughs> All of them knew that it was coming, see? Yeah. Because they knew what was going on. So just one night, I lit the firecracker. Gene had put his guitar down on the floor. He'd get ready to sing the next song. Sure. And Bubba, they got beside him, like, uh, you know, singing, singing harmony and everything. 
So our role is firecracker, and instead of turning to the right, he turned to the left, and when he did, the firecracker went under the guitar. Wow. It went off, and it went up in the air about three feet to a big hole in it, knocked the bridge off of it, and man, Gene was mad. He <laughs> called me everything in the book. <laughs> but the people were screaming, and they loved it. And he looked, he said, so Dago, they must have liked that. He said, we're going to have to do things like that for more often. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. And it got to the point that word traveled, and everywhere we went, when he went out there to sign autographs, they would they would say, "Can I get a picture with that guitar?" Wow. And Gene said, "Well, I'll go ahead and go back and get it." So he'd go back and get it, bring it out there on the stage, and sign autographs and get pictures with it. And uh, that's how that story got started. But we right. did some crazy stuff, man. And one night there, when at the hotel, you know, that's when Gene had that cast seat, sure, that uh, wrought iron cast that he had special made. And uh, he put it right by his bed. So we nailed, we put a nail into it in the floor. And when Gene got up, it didn't go nowhere. He almost broke his neck. Wow. And uh, he said, y'all think that's funny, don't you? He said, I ought to take this thing and beat you in the head with it. <laughs> I mean, these are things we did, man. This was us. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were, you were having a time of your life. You were all in your teens, right? In your late teens and just right. having a great time. When did you, um, when did you decide, uh, Dickie, that um, you'd had enough of this? What made you decide to, to quit the band? You know, I, I was friends, good friends. I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Nicky Sullivan, who was Buddy Holly's rhythm guitar player. And he told yeah. me, he told me after a year of touring with him that, he just decided it wasn't the life for him. Even though they were popular and had a number one recording out, he decided that he'd rather have a family-type bass for his life, yeah. and, and he wanted to get off the road, basically. Is that kind of what you came to the conclusion, or, or what was your story on that? Well, you know, I, I liked it a whole lot in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, it got to the point that, that sometimes we were playing three shows a day in three different counties. Wow. And uh, it's exhausting. We, we never right? had, never had time hardly to go to a hotel, which we did go once in a while, and we didn't have time to get no clothes clean because we didn't have a two sets. Yeah, a lot of times we had to go out there. Our clothes were all dirty, smelly, and everything. But we went anyway. And uh, after a while, I got, I, I just got tired of it. Sure. So I went ahead and uh, I had left. And um, to tell you the truth, the guys that were um, in charge of him, they had their uh, road manager came with a kid, nothing for him. Because every time he didn't do something right, he said, I'm going to have you fired. I'm going to go back to Dallas and get some musicians, take you all's place. Mm. So I just left. And gotcha. uh, about two weeks after I left, uh, they called me and said that Gene was going to be on uh, Ed Sullivan. And would I, would I come on back to be on the Ed Sullivan show? And uh, I said, yeah, I guess so. So I went there to New York, and we got set up and all this crap and everything. 
And uh, we did the Ed Sullivan show and it went over real good. I don't think Ed Sullivan cared too much for me because I think he thought I was nuts. But <laughs> other than that, other than that, we went ahead and uh, he said, now, come on, I want you back in the band. I said, okay, we'll, we'll try it again. Yeah. So after the first week I was back, they had cut my salary. Ah. Uh. I told them, I said, I said, look now, I said, you only cut my salary. And Gene said, well, don't worry about it. They'll make it up next week. Well, 14 weeks later, they hadn't made it up. Mm. So I walked in there one day, and I told him, this is it, brother. He said, well, get with them. I said, I ain't getting with them. I've been tired of messing with them. Yeah. So I just packed my bag and went home. Wow. And that was it. But I, I, had, I had some good times there. I met some good people. Sign autographs and talk to them, and I mean, every once in a while we go out and get a hamburger or something with them. With the fans, yeah, that's great. They don't do that today. No, I know, I know. It's uh, it's amazing the uh, the way things have changed. I'm curious. Yeah, do, they uh, don't Dickie... even want to sign autographs or anything. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious, Dicky. Did you keep playing drums on your own after you you quit the band, or did you kind of put the sticks? Oh down no, I, I ended up in with some local groups. Yeah. And um, I had about three groups I was playing with. And um, I, Cliff and them, I'd go see Cliff and Jack where they were playing and Willie. And uh, I just, you know, play this one and play that one and play this one. And uh, one day, um, Ken Nelson called me on the phone. Ken Nelson from Capitol Records, yeah. He said, I got an idea. I said, what kind of idea? He said, I want to cut the drum album. Oh, wow. I said, well, who about that? He said, well, you let me worry about everything. Anything, anything, you know, any ideas that when you get here. And I told him, I said, well, I'd like to play, I'd like to do a rhythm and blues, you know, doo-wop songs like that, like stuff like Bo Diddley and uh, Little Richard with that beat and stuff. Sure. And um, he said, well, we'll talk about it when you get here. But see, I didn't know what they had in mind, see, because they never said nothing about it. Yeah. So when I got there, they introduced me to this other drummer, Roy Hart. I said, it's the first time I ever did anything like this. He said, oh, you'll get through it. I said, well, where, where the other band? He said, there ain't no band. He said, man, you're going to cut 12 tapes. And they're going to bring the band in later and play around them. Hmm. I said, what? He said, that's what I was told. So I asked Ken about it. Ken said, yep. Said, I got some of the best musicians there. I believe, um, I don't know what, which ones it was, but it was some of them that Sinatra used and different ones and everything. Sure. And I told him, I said, man, I, I want the thing that, Sound like a blues and put a harmonica in it, put piano in it, and put some brass behind it. He said, well, don't, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of everything. So we went in there and cut these 12 different tapes. I mean, they were all different. Yeah. Drums and different this and cymbals and stuff. And I said to myself, I told him, I said, Roy, what, what are they going to do? He said, they've already made up their mind. Best thing to do is just be quiet. <laughs> I mean, they were paying for everything. 
what could I say? I ain't nothing I could say about it. Right. So about a month later, so I got the album in the mail, and I put it up on my record player. And when I heard the first song, it about knocked me out. I said, man, that ain't what I wanted. It was all big orchestra stuff. Oh, wow. And I, I said, man, I don't want... I mean, I wanted the stuff like the rhythm and blues beat with that heavy heavy drum hit. Yeah. And like fiddly stuff. And like Little Richard stuff with a piano, harmonica, and brass. Sure. And... uh. I called him and told him, I said, Ken, that ain't what I wanted. He says, too late now. He said, that's what we got. He said, we're going to go with it. And uh, I said, well, I don't think it's going to do nothing. He said, oh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. And uh, it turned out to be a flop. What was the name of that album, Dickie? Do you remember the name of that album? Yeah, it's Drums and More Drums. Drums and More Drums. Wow. Right. And it, I mean, it had, uh, it was big band sound. Sure, sure. And it was exotic stuff. And uh, I don't know, it, it just wasn't what I wanted. Wasn't your uh, cup of tea, yeah. And uh, like I said, I, I didn't have no choice. And they had made up their mind they were going to do it. All I could do is go along with the program. So they, they sent it out to the station for promotion. And um, I guess some of them played it or whatever it was, but it, it never clicked. Never caught on with the public, yeah. And I think I told most people that bought it, I said, if you don't like the album, just put it in the bottom of a bird cage and it'll make, make some <laughs> use of it. <laughs> hey, tell me, uh, I know you um, at some point, I'm, I'm not sure what uh, year it was, but at some point you... Uh, you and the remaining Blue Caps uh, reunited to play a European Rockabilly Festival. Is that right? We went overseas. Yeah. When they had a reunion. Well, you reunion, okay. And um, was it uh, who was that? Was that you and Johnny Meeks, or who 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 all was involved with that? It was me, Johnny Meeks, Bobby Jones, and myself. Wow. What and was that like? What was that like uh, reuniting for uh, these? Europeans, I'm sure they went crazy for you. Uh, well, the first the, the first time we went over there, the guy called us, Paul Barrett. He was a booking agent. Yeah. And he, me and Bubba, he said, I got an idea. Because when nobody else touches, you know, when you leave, when you lose your lead singer like that, they, they don't want nobody but him, you know. Right, right. He said, so I want y'all to come on over here. And we'll put some shows together, and y'all can just play Gene stuff and whatever kind you wanted. So Johnny, Johnny was a lead singer, and um, so Johnny sang uh, uh, Gene. Yeah, Benson's. he sang all the Gene stuff and and uh, different ones and everything. So we went, and and Bubba and him said, "I don't know." We, we that's a big that's a big uh big nut to crack with just us with no gene right so the first time we played we played at Calster and uh, it was freezing that night yeah I mean it was snowing and freezing 
And I said to myself, man, there ain't going to be nobody here. By quarter to nine, you couldn't even find a seat. Wow. We're standing outside in the cold and snow waiting to get in. Jeez. So we went ahead and played. And uh, after we played that first show, Paul come over there and said, would y'all mind signing uh, autographs? People got some, you know, pictures and records. They want you to sign them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we don't mind. So they set the table up. So what happened when they opened up the door, all these people come in there, and the next thing you know, they had almost 300 people outside waiting to get autographs. Jeez. And we signed autographs for about four hours. Had their uh, record players and everything. They wanted them signed. Wow. And uh, from then on, once the word spread, we had them other shows we did, and they went over real good and everything. And we went back a couple times, two or three times we went back for the reunion. And then we did one in uh, California, and uh, that went over real good. Very cool. And uh, when you found out... Uh uh, Gene Vincent, when he passed, uh, did you were you able to attend his funeral or? Oh no, we were in. Uh, I went to the DJ convention with uh, Bill, the, the one that was his manager. Yeah, it's just me and him, and um, we were at the hall one night when they were having a party there in Nashville, and uh, Bill come over there and says, "I just got the word." Gene passed away. Oh, wow. I said, man. I said, what happened? Because I was told he died from bleeding ulcers, died on the operating table. Mm. But see, I tell you, Gene, in the, in the beginning, Gene never drank. I never seen him drink any. Maybe, maybe a little tippy every once in a while to settle your stomach. Most of the day, do that. Sure. And um, he started drinking. That was because his leg, his leg was driving him crazy. Sure. And uh, it got to the point that, it, I mean, they, they gave him stuff, you know, uh, prescription stuff for the pain. But his leg wasn't getting no better, see? Yeah. And by him jumping up and down and all that, it definitely wasn't getting no better. Right. So he he would he would drink, he wouldn't eat, and uh, the next thing you know, he'd be out there and he'd be singing, and I I never seen him miss a show. I know he I know he was real sick one time. We were at the hotel and he was before we went on he was so sick, and the, the leg his leg was nervous nerves in his legs were so bad that the leg was jumping up and down. And had to hold it down for him to put his shoe on. Wow. But he, lo he loved his, I tell you, he loved his fans. Yeah. He talked more than them than did anybody. Nice. He'd always say, I ain't letting them down. They come here to see me, they're going to see me. Right, right. But he was a different person when he got on that bandstand. Yeah. When he, when he come off the bandstand, that, that's when he, that, he, he just act like a head downers, you know. Right, but once he hit that bandstand and seen them people, and he just he just drove himself crazy. I get a lot of people send uh, emails. They ask me all the time, "How was life on the road? What you do with it?" So, like I said, we were going from town to town, 
Never knew when we were going to have a hotel room. Never knew when we were going to have a chance to eat. So there was a place in Nashville called the TikTok, something like uh, White Tower. Sure. And they had hamburgers, which were 12 cents a piece. Wow. So me and Bobby, me and Bobby got a whole dozen of them a piece. <laughs> and we take them back to the room and take the lampshades off the lamp and put the hamburger on top of the lamp and warm them up and eat them <laughs> because we didn't have time to go to go to the restaurants or anything. Right, right. And when you tell people that, they, they think that, you know, they think you're crazy. Yeah. And that old station wagon we had, the heater was always going out. And it got to the point that we had bricks, and we would put the bricks underneath the hood for about 20 minutes. they get real warm. And bring them back in the car and put our feet on them, keep our feet from freezing. Wow. And I mean, these are little things that we did, man. It's, it's not like today you got a big bus and you got catering service. And right, you right. Got, got somebody do this and somebody do that. And well, we didn't have all that. Yeah, it's amazing. You think of uh, the things that you guys and Buddy Holly and the Crickets, the way they traveled back then uh, compared to rock and roll stars today that are. Treated with kid gloves and uh, fancy provost buses and all oh that. yeah, big cars riding around in. And yeah, got limos picking them up. Exactly. But we had no limo. We got there in the station wagon, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, it's great to uh, talk to a you know somebody that was actually there and uh, and part of rock and roll history like you were. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show and. Um, my pleasure, man. I, I enjoyed it. I really did. And if listeners would like to uh, to send Dickie a personal question, just reach out to him at Dickie, D-I-C-K-I-E, Bebop, at AOL.com. And, uh, at AOL.com. He'll get right back to you. And um, really appreciate you uh, giving us your time. And um, I really look forward to uh, talking to you again here in the future. And uh, feel free to reach out at any time, man. Okay, man. I really appreciate you having me on your show. All right, Dickie. Uh, you take care, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. Okay, my friend. Okay. Thank you so much, and you have a good good day. You too, Dickie. Take care now. All right, buddy. Thank you. Uh huh. Bye bye. What a nice man, Dickie Harrell of Gene Vincent's Blue Caps, the original drummer, and uh, what a pleasure and honor to have him on the show. Hope you enjoyed that. You can see my schedule at johnmuellermusic.com or winterdanceparty.com. Hope to see you out there on the road. In the meantime, stay safe, stay cool, take care, and we'll see you on down the line. See you on down the